Judges chapter 8. I'm actually going to begin in chapter 7, verse 24, a few verses earlier. Just it gives us a little context of uh, what we're going to see in a few pages and passages in this text. And we'll read to the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. The men of Ephraim said to him, What is this you have done to us, not to call us out when you went to fight against Midian? And they accused him fiercely, and they said to him, or, and he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezer? God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves and bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And from there he went up to Penuel, and he spoke to... and. And spoke to them in the same way, and the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. And he said to the men of Penuel, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor with their army, about 15,000 men, all who were left of the army of the people of the east. For there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers east of Nobah and Jogbaha and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Zeba and Zalmunna fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna. And he threw all the army into a panic. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Heres, and he captured a young man of Succoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and elders of Succoth, 77 men. And he came to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand that we should give bread to your men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them taught the men of Succoth a lesson. And he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Then he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, Where are the men with whom you killed at Tabor? They answered, As you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And Gideon said, He said, They were my brothers, 
the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether, his firstborn, rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Then Ziba and Zalmunna said, rise yourself and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmunna. And he took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of the camels. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest forty years in the days of Gideon. Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, that's the name for Gideon, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had seventy sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he, and he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father at Ophrah of the Abiezrites. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals made and made Baal bereath their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbabel, that is, Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord to us. May he bless it to us this morning. Well, you might notice in your bulletins the title for the sermon, The Turn, and you say, you might be wondering, turning from what? Turning to what? What is this turn? Well, oftentimes in movies, characters undergo a development process where they suddenly transform from somebody who is weak to somebody who is great or good. There's a moment where it all clicks together, and then suddenly they're able to go perform their acts to save people to rescue. And sometimes in stories and movies, we hear of those who turn for the worse. It's as if they go along and their lives are good and you admire them and you are drawn into the story of their life and then suddenly everything turns. They make a terrible, horrible decision that shocks you and shocks everyone around them at why they've done this. In the church, we've experienced this at times when leaders have fallen. We hear of many pastors teachers, those who lead ministries, and we hear of scandals in their lives, adultery, drunkenness, drugs, all kinds of different sins. 
We can think of many, even the late Ravi Zacharias is one man who many of us admired, listened to his ministry, turned to it, and then we are shocked and stunned to hear about the sin that comes out in his life after his death. Things we had no idea, and it turns and transforms our whole perspective of who that person is and what we're supposed to think of them. This is not unlike the story of Gideon. It's his life that now has turned, but it's a turn for the worse. And we are shocked to read what Gideon does in many of these things in this passage that we'll explain in just a moment. But a life that seemed off to a good start, Lord appearing to him, all of a sudden takes this massive turn. And there is more here for us in this passage about even the life of Israel that is going to show this turn that happens, not only in Gideon's life, but also in the life of the people of Israel. And that's what I'd like us to see this morning, is this turn that happens. But what is the cause of this turn? Why does Gideon's life all of a sudden turn for the worse? What is going on in his heart? I think there is a simple thing that's going on in Gideon's heart. He wants power. Gideon wants to be in control. He wants to be the man in charge of everything, making the decisions. He wants to be in power. And we will see in this passage several things of what happens in the life of a man who has power and lets it go to his head, who turns, who turns his life in a completely different direction. There's three things we'll see in, his, in the life of those who have a lust for power. They become angry, they become vengeful and abusive, and they become self-centered. That's what we'll see in this passage. Angry, vengeful, abusive, and self-centered. First, we will see that Gideon becomes angry. And not just Gideon, but the people of Israel. We look at the life of Gideon himself, and he's a man who seemed to portray himself as a weak person when the angel of the Lord appears to him a few, chap- or a few chapters ago in chapter 6, when the angel of the Lord, who is ultimately when Jesus Christ comes, he is the true angel of the Lord, but here is this manifestation of God to Gideon himself, and we see Gideon portraying himself as this weak man. No power, nothing. Now, we can see many times in this passage, that's not true about Gideon. He has a, not a good assessment of himself. But oftentimes, those who seem the weakest, once they get the power, their life turns and they become a worse version or the the worst version of themselves. So what happens in the life of Gideon? Well, he gets power. He sees this manifestation of God delivering the people before his very eyes by simply blowing horns, lighting torches, and God brings to an end 120,000 men by 300 Israelites blowing horns. And Gideon now, the power goes to his head. We see what happens. Now in verse 24 through the end of chapter 7 that we read at the beginning, Gideon calls the tribe of Ephraim, his neighboring tribe, to now come in and assist in this battle as the the Midianites, this foreign army who has invaded into Israel and attacked them, wiping out their land, eating up all their crops, Now God has delivered them, fought their army, and they're going to make a full end of this angry, or this army. Gideon calls in Ephraim to help, to go to the river Jordan that's on the east at the end to block it and, and capture and kill these warriors. 
What happens with Ephraim? What happens with their neighboring tribe? Well, they become angry. They're mad at Gideon. They get called late to the war. They take affront to this. Why weren't we included at the beginning? Why didn't you call us out to fight against Midian and these warriors? Why would they take affront to this? Something that to us seems, why would you want to be called out to battle? I'd be glad to stay home while the rest of you do the hard work. Well, they want their share of glory. They want their share of the power. It's like being on a baseball team that is going to the World Series, and the day before you make it to the World Series, you break your leg and you can't play. You get injured. You can't play in the game. You're still part of the team. The Ephraimites, they're still part of the tribes of of Israel, but they are not included in this massive battle against this mighty enemy. They, They don't get any glory if they don't fight. They don't get to walk away and gloat and boast. We defeated, Idi- we defeated Midian. Midian. They don't get to boast in the win. And so they call out to Gideon. Why didn't you include us? What's wrong with you? So how does Gideon deal with their anger? This lust for power, this lust for glory that you see in them. What does Gideon do? Does he do what we think he should do? Point out what God has called them to do and point out what God has done. Does he say, the Lord has done this. The Lord has delivered the army into your hands. The Lord is the one who is at work. I am simply a servant sent by him to do his bidding. No, that's not what Gideon does. What does he do? Well, one pastor put it this way, that Gideon appeals to their pride. He appeals to their pride He said to them, verse 2, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezer? It's a phrase that simply means you have the leftovers, and your leftovers that you have, you have killed these two princes, these two generals or officials. These leftovers are better than the first course meal that we all had. You have the choicest fruits. You have the choicest gleanings. He's trying to build up their pride. Look, you've done a great thing. Look how great it is. Once these people have their pride, their hearts puffed up by these words of Gideon, their anger subsides. They realize, oh yeah, you're right. We did get glory in this circumstance. We are powerful. Look, we killed these two uh, chief officials, these warriors of these armies. And we see what happens with this kind of anger. Why we get angry when we don't get the power is it's immediately divisive. We turn against those. We turn against each other because we want the power. We want the glory. But then we also see what happens to Gideon. In verse 4, we see Gideon continuing his pursuit. And we see Gideon's anger growing himself. Gideon takes his small army of 300 across the Jordan to track down the kings. See, Gideon is misleading the Ephraimites, Ephraimites, saying basically, what have I done now? What have I done up to this point? God has given into your hands. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? He doesn't reveal his greater plan. You killed the chief officials. I'm going after the kings. 
And he goes down to track down these kings because Gideon wants the glory. He says, you can have these princes, these chief officials, but I'm going to get the kings. I'm going to make a full rout of them. And on his way, we see Gideon's anger flare up. Gideon wants to be recognized. He wants to be honored as one who just accomplished this mighty battle for the Lord. And he goes to two Israelite cities on the east side of the Jordan River, Succoth and Penuel. And they don't give him the recognition that he wants. They look at him and say, no, we're not going to help you. Are the hands of these two of the Midianites in your hands? It's a warrior term for when they would remove the hands of the soldiers that they killed in battle as proof, the hands of the kings as proof that they indeed did kill them. Have you conquered them yet? They say, no, Gideon, we're not going to help you. And Gideon gets angry with them. And he lashes out. He becomes enraged and he threatens them. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back and I'm going to let you know the wrong that you've done. I'm going to whip you into shape. I'm going to tie up thorns and thistles. And as we will see later, teach them a lesson. He's going to break down their wall, their tower. That's their form of protection. You have a tower, you can see the enemy coming from a far ways off. You break down that tower, you cannot see when the enemy comes. Gideon knows exactly what he's doing. The people of Israel are angry. Gideon is angry. They're driven by a lust for power. But then we see that it doesn't get any better. It just continues to get worse in the life of Gideon. He becomes vengeful and abusive. His lust for power is no longer just anger, but he is seeking vengeance. And he becomes an abusive man. Gideon now turns against the people of Israel. One scholar notes the situation of Ziba and Zalmunna, these two kings of Midian. There's a bracket here. It begins with Zima and Zalmunna and ends with Ziba and Zalmunna, but something happens in between this. Normally, you capture king and then you kill them, but the author of Judges has inserted this story about what Gideon does with the men of Succoth and the men of Penuel in the middle of it. Before we find out what Gideon does with Ziba and Zalmunna, the author tells us this interlude. He completes the story of what Gideon is going to do with these fellow Israelites. Now he tracks down Ziba and Zalmunna, captures them, brings them along back. And before the text tells us what he does with them, we hear about Gideon's actions with Succoth and with Penuel. He vents his rage. He goes and captures a young man, forces him to tell the truth. Who knows what Gideon did to extract the truth about who all the leaders of Succoth were. And then he takes these leaders of of Succoth and he teaches them a lesson with thorns and with briars. A very painful one and even you could say a torturous lesson that he tries to teach them. And what is he trying to teach them? He's trying to teach them who's boss. Don't you mess with me. Don't you cross me. You cross me, you get the thorns and briars, all of you, all of your leaders. I am the one in charge now. 
He publicly humiliates the leaders of Succoth. You humiliate me, my vengeance is going to be ten times worse than the humiliation that you drew towards me. But like with anger, what often happens is we have no control over it. It spills out of control. Now he fulfills his word that he had said, I'm going to tear down this tower in Penuel, but what else does he do? His rampage goes even further. He kills the men of the city. Sucketh, yes, they get thorns and, bris- thorns and briars, but Penuel, he just goes on a murderous rage. He tears everything down in his path. He's angry, he's vengeful, he's abusive because he wants power. He wants to be in control and he wants the world to know who has the power. See, it's not just the people turning against their leader. Ephraim saying to Gideon, what have you done? We want the power. But it's now also the leader turning against the people themselves. And this is where we see the turn. The turn in Israel. Up to this point throughout the book of Judges, everything has been focused, all the battles and fights have been focused outside of Israel on those enemies of Israel inside of the land that God had promised to them, the Midianites, the Canaanites, the Amalekites, so many nations, so many tribes that God had said, we're going to wipe them out, clear them out of here. Up to this point, everything in Israel had been focused on those evil tribes. But then the turn happens. The people of Israel, their leader is driven by a lust for power. And they begin turning in on themselves. And from here on out throughout the book of Judges, this will just get worse and worse. And we will see that now no longer do the people of Israel fight against the enemies on the outside. They fight against each other. Leaders against the people. The people against the leaders. The people against the people. The turn has happened in the book of Judges. But we see an even darker picture of the life of Gideon revealed to us. He becomes angry, vengeful, abusive. And then he's self-centered. When we want power, the only thing that we want is for our lives to be the center of focus, for people to look at us, to pay attention to us. And the ironic thing that we always or often see is when we see leaders behaving this way, that's what people want in a leader. They exalt themselves. They, they portray themselves as these powerful leaders who make a full end of everybody around them, who are ruthless. And this is what the people want. In chapter 8, after Gideon does all this and he kills the, the kings of Zeba and Zalmunna, what do the people say? Verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hands of the Midianites. You have saved us. They don't want the kingdom of God. They want the kingdom of man. They want their great mighty warrior who is 
going out on a vengeful, wrathful rage, destroying their enemies without thought of who he's attacking. It's precisely what Jesus tells his disciples. He called his disciples and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So what does Gideon do with this newfound power that he has? People turning to him. We want you to be king. Be king. Rule over us. Well, it's a false sense of humility. This is what leaders do, is they present a sense of humility. I'm just a weak man. But really, they harbor in their hearts a desire for more power. He claims he's, he's acting on behalf of God. I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. But does he really care about what the Lord thinks? Is Gideon in his heart really concerned with what the Lord is calling him to do? Is he going to act on behalf of God and say, turn to the Lord? No. We can see immediately the next thing that Gideon does proves that that's not what his heart really says. Yes, I will give a pretense of wanting to have the Lord be the one who's in control, but in his heart, really, he is the one who wants to be in control. He wants all the benefits without the responsibility. Yes, the Lord will rule over you. I don't want to be king. I don't want to be involved in all the decisions that that's going to entail, but I want all the benefits. So he makes his request. And Gideon said to them, verse 24, let me make a request of you, since you're so inclined towards me in this moment. Give me all your gold, your earrings, all these spoils of war that you've gone. And then he makes an ephod. Now, if you don't know the Old Testament very well, or you're not very familiar, or maybe it's just been a while since you heard what an ephod is, an ephod was an article of clothing worn by the priest like a shirt, a thick, heavy shirt. And it was worn by the high priest, and there was only one of them in Israel. And that high priest would wear this ephod, this shirt, and on it would be plates of all the stones that represented Israel. And when he would put this on, he would go inside of the tabernacle, the worship room of God. And that ephod would carry these plates that would represent the people of Israel before God. When you put the, when you put the ephod on, you are representing the people of God to God. And there was only one in all of Israel. But Gideon says, no, I'm going to be your representative before God. I'm going to make an ephod, and we're going to use lots of gold to do it. Forty-five, fifty pounds worth of gold that he gathers from all of these people. Gideon is here making his own way of worship, his own way of access to God. Yes, you have access to God, but it's going to come through me. And all the descriptions here mirror another man in Scripture in the book of Exodus. The man is Aaron. When Aaron fashions an idol, the golden calf, out of the people's earrings, amongst other items of jewelry and gold, Exodus chapter 32. A almost mirror picture. Aaron making a 
idol out of a calf and an image of God out of gold. And here is Gideon doing the same thing. We're going to worship the Lord, yes, but we're going to worship him my way. And this is what Gideon does. Gideon sets up his own idolatrous way for the people to access God instead of pointing them away from himself and pointing them to God himself. And in the irony of the story of Gideon, Gideon lays out, the text tells us, the people spread a cloak just like Gideon spread out his cloak. And instead of seeking the Lord's will, they're now seeking their own will. And they put in all their gold. And he leads the people astray. Gideon does not want the people to know the Lord. He wants to manipulate and take control. And the text tells us a very terrible thing that happened to the people of Israel when they followed this leader. And Gideon made an ephod and put in his city Ophrah, the same place where the Lord appeared to him. And all Israel whored after it there. They committed adultery against God, turning away from their Savior to these false ways of worshiping God. Gideon's lust for power is shows itself in every facet of his life, turning against his own people and exalting himself. If you're going to go to the Lord, you're going through me. And it doesn't end there. Gideon lives a life centered on himself. The text tells us that he takes an abundance of gold and treasures for himself, things that were forbidden for kings to do in Scripture. He acquires many wives, another thing that kings were forbidden to do. And then the final act recorded in the life of Gideon, he names his son, signaling his own self-importance, Abimelech. Now, for us who don't know Hebrew, the word, the name Abimelech means my father is king. His final act is to leave a legacy saying, I'm really the true king. Maybe I refused it from the people, but I'm going to live like one. Acquiring wives, gold, doing whatever I want to do. And we see here the fruit of the pursuit of power. The destruction that it leaves in its wake. We become angry, vengeful, and abusive. Self-centered, all because we want glory and power to ourselves. And we see that not only is Israel itself idolatrous, but we also see the devastating effects of idolatry. We want ourselves to be exalted, no matter what the cost, to others around us. This is the turn that happens in the book of Judges. And the downward spiral will continue as we go through this book. But there is one more thing here I want to point out. It is the absence of the Lord throughout this entire narrative. Now, certainly Gideon claims he's acting on behalf of God. He's his messenger doing God's bidding. But at no point does the Lord appear. At no point does it say that the Lord acts. A man who God mightily used by the Lord now is totally absent from his life as this man goes on his rampage. The whole of chapter 8, the Lord is 
conspicuously absent from his life. It's to teach us that God is not with us when we seek power for ourselves. Because God has shown Gideon, I do not need your power to accomplish my will and my purposes. I don't need your strength. I don't need your wisdom. In fact, what's better for me is if I make you as weak as possible. I will defeat an army of 150,000 people with 300 men blowing horns. But what happens to the people after all this? Verse 34, and the people of Israel did not remember the Lord. He's absent from their lives. They sought mankind's way of finding power and glory. And we are just like Israel. We're just like Gideon. We do this in all kinds of ways in our own lives. We want power for ourselves. We want to be in control. We want to be the ones having the say. And we act out in all these kinds of ways, just like Gideon. But who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? He's showing, I am not with this man. This is not the way that the Lord acts. Because the Lord is one who gives glory away. He is not here because he does not seek glory for himself in the way that Gideon does. The way the people of Israel does. Now, God certainly must glorify himself. He would not be God if he did not do this. It is his nature to exalt himself because he is the most glorious. And if he were not to exalt himself, the most glorious being in all of everything, creation and beyond creation, it would be wrong of God. It would be to deny his very nature. But the way that God brings glory to himself is to pour it out, to give it away, to share it. Not to harbor it to himself. To exalt his own self at the expense of others. And this is precisely what our Lord has done. In sending Jesus Christ to us. Gideon was a false started king. A promising hope. Who made a very large turn. Away from what God had prepared him for. He wasn't going to be the king. But God has sent his king, the king of kings, who did not seek to glorify and exalt himself. Instead, he turned to his heavenly father at every moment, even in his weakest moments. First Peter tells us that when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile and return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When Gideon was reviled, he reviled in return. When he seemed to suffer, wanting food and water, drink for his men, he threatened. This is not the way of Jesus Christ. But our Christ has been utterly patient with us. He was The moment when he was stripped of all of his glory. The moment when all the power was taken out of his hands. What does he do for his enemies? He prays for them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Christ became weak for our sakes. 
He put off power. He did not seek it for himself. He trusted the Lord. I will follow the Lord even if it leads to my very death. As we heard many months ago from Philippians chapter 2, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Philippians tells us that he humbled himself. He became humble, he became poor. He suffered and died for all of us, even for Israel, and even for Gideon. There's something that is fascinating about the story of Gideon that is picked up in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, pointing out all these witnesses, pointing who say, look what the Lord is doing. Gideon is a witness testifying to us of God at work. Hebrews chapter 11, and what more shall I say, for time will fail to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, a few more judges that we'll see in a little bit coming up, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. See, God saves men even like Gideon. We think he's a hopeless case, but God says, no, I will use men. Yes, everything that Gideon does in the latter half of his life is full of evil, full of devastation. But God did not abandon Gideon. Gideon may have turned his back on the Lord. But God did not abandon him because God has sent his son, his humble savior, to give his life for people just like Gideon who seek power for themselves. So brothers and sisters, do you seek for power for yourself? Do you seek to exalt yourself, to make yourself known, to show others how great and wonderful you are? And do you realize that is not the life that God is calling you to? Today is the day of salvation, to know that God has sent his Savior for you, Jesus Christ who has given his life for your sake, laid aside power and the riches and glory of heaven to rescue you and bring you home, the weak and feeble sinner that you really are. So turn to Jesus Christ. And when you're tempted to seek power for yourself, fly, run to Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would apply this truth to our hearts. Lord, we are a weak and sinful people, but we need your strength and your power that you give to us in the gospel, this gospel of grace, that you give your love, your mercy, and your kindness to undeserving sinners. And Lord, may we, like Christ, turn and pray for those who persecute us, who turn against us, loving those, loving even our enemies, no matter what it costs us. And fill us with hope that we have a risen Savior living before you today and who will rise, who will come and raise us to be with him as well. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.